All right, good evening. Is it a good evening? Man, you guys are as bad as the kids are. Like, we're here, Father. We have to be. Um, so before we get started, just like with everything we should do, uh, we're going to begin with prayer. So let's begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this day. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for the many gifts that you have given to us in our lives, especially those that we don't always understand and those that we don't always witness to. We pray that you may bless our year of catechesis that begins, that began last week with our teaching mass, but continues this week. We pray for all of our catechists. We pray for all of those going through the RCIA process and all of those seeking to grow deeper in the faith. We ask your blessing over this adult catechesis class this evening and over all of the classes that the kids are going through this evening as well. We ask all of these things in your Son's name as we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, we're going to continue the adult classes that we started last year. Uh, we're going to have them going every Wednesday. So, that as, if they are in class, we are in class as well. Uh, the classes are for any adults, not just for those that are coming in um, through the, the RCIA program, which is the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, but also for people that have been Catholic their whole lives. Um, because one of the things that we forget is that once we're confirmed, that's not the end of our growth in the faith. Once we come into the church, we continue to grow until the moment that the Lord calls us home. But also, one of my hopes this year is that we can get more parents in class. Um, because, and that's one of the things we're really going to focus on tonight, is the role of the parent in catechesis, but also the role of the parent and family in the home when it comes to our children in the faith. I was talking to Katie before classes started if you had to guess, how long do you think the church as an institution has per year to teach your kids? Like, throw out a number for me. Hours, days, weeks. We get your kids for 28 hours. 28 hours of class. Now, they get deacon and myself 52 weekends a year if we're coming to Mass, so add another 52 hours, a maximum of 80 hours a year. That's just over three days, of the 365 days a year. That's less than 1%. That's not a good thing. Because the struggle is for such a long time People have looked to the church to, here, it's your job, it's your role to teach my kids how to be faithful. It's your role to teach my kids what it means to be a person of virtue. Yes, but. It is our role to help continue the growth of the family. But as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins... You will have so much more influence on the kids and the growth in the church than we as catechists can ever have. And that's not a bad thing. 
But the kids learn and grow from what you do or from what you don't do. That's why I, I think it's so important for us as parents, for us as adults, to be intentional when it comes to our own relationship with God. Because the more we show um, an investment, the more our kids will see how important that investment is. Because kids from the age of one or two begin learning habits from parents. When I was the pastor at Corpus Christi in downtown Oklahoma City, there was one night where I almost had to call the cops because there were 15 young kids, none of them over the age of 10, that were sitting on the porch of the church. No problem. Except that every time a cop car would go by, these kids would throw every name in the book at these officers. Like names, it's like, how did you put those words in that order? I never would have thought about that before. Every four-letter word you could ever think of, every horrible name you could ever call a police officer was coming out of these little kids' mouths. And I thought to myself, these kids are nine and ten, and some of them were four and five years old. Where did they learn this? And then I realized we learn by the environment in which we are. Fast forward to three weeks ago, I was flipping through social media because... I'm on social media, what can I say? And there was this video. This dad was on the phone with someone and was really mad, and as soon as he hung up the phone, he drops the F-bomb. Forgot that his one-and-a-half-year-old was in the back seat. Mom gets in the car five minutes later. The one-and-a-half-year-old has now made a song out of the F-word. F, 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 F couldn't stop laughing, they couldn't, because they thought it was so cute. The problem is, that's not cute. It taught them a lesson. And we don't really realize that as adults, it is our responsibility to be people of faith. My generation of Catholics struggle. I'm 37 years old. Really, anyone from the age of 45 down we are longing to know what it means to have a relationship with God because the generation before us didn't really help us understand how to do that. Now, with that being said, I grew up in a family that I missed Mass twice before the age of 18. Once because we got snowed in. I'm not talking about Oklahoma snowed in where it's, oh, there's a dusting, we can't go outside. I'm talking North Dakota snowed in, where we had six and a half feet snowdrifts. We couldn't get out of the garage. That was one. The other one was because I had chicken pox. That was it. I missed mass twice. Now, since I turned 18, that story is completely different. But why is that? Part of it is because I'm a cradle Catholic. How many of you guys are cradle Catholics? How many people don't know what a cradle Catholic is? So a cradle Catholic is someone that was born into the faith, that your parents claimed the faith for you. So for me, I was baptized within a month of my birth. That's actually traditionally when we're supposed to get our kids baptized. Do you know how many kids I baptize within the first month of their birth compared to not? Maybe 3%. Do I baptize in the first month? Maybe 3% in seven years. I'd say the majority of the kids that... I baptize are between the age of 1 and 70. 
I say 70 because they come into the faith later in life. And that's not a bad thing. That's not saying that something went wrong, but it's the question of, as parents, how do we want our kids, our grandkids, the young people of our church, how do we want them to feel welcomed when they come to this place? Not just inside of these doors, but when they see each other in society, do we go up and greet them? Hey, how are you doing today? I saw you at Mass on Sunday. Or, hey, I didn't see you at Mass on Sunday. Is everything going okay? Do, do we follow up with each other? I do a bad job at that. Sometimes I, hey, it's been a while since I've seen you at Mass. I feel bad doing that because then they never want to come talk to me ever again. I don't do that. My goal and my role is not to guilt people into coming to Mass. My goal, my role as pastor is to pr- provide the sacraments and to prevent the faith, or to present the faith in the most accessible way that I can. Sometimes that works through my preaching. Sometimes it works by just showing up. But how do we take responsibility as adults for the faith in our community? What's interesting, in the last six months, I talked to a group of our parishioners and I said, man, I am so excited about the future of our parish. We have so many young people coming to Mass. They said, there's like 10 kids at Mass, Father. What are you talking about? I said, you go to Mass on Saturday, don't you? They said, yeah, come to Mass next Sunday and tell me that same thing. They came to Mass the following Sunday and said, holy crap, they're like termites. They just replicate out of everywhere. I said, I know. When I'm up here holding the basket, I feel like I'm being mauled by midgets. It's crazy. It's awesome because we have so many young people that are not only excited to be here, they're excited to tithe mom and dad's money too. And we want to start that excitement in some fashion that when they see me out, I remember seeing the Lanius kids out at Hobby Lobby, like, I was in t-shirt and shorts. I said, it's Father Danny! It's like, oh no. But it was awesome, because I was recognizable even without this on. But that means if I had done something badly, I would also be recognized as doing something wrong as father. That's one of the things I have to always remember myself, especially when it comes to social media. You guys know me. I love social media. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on there all the time, but I have to edit what I put on there. Because there's a lot of times where I want to put my personal opinions out there about, I cannot believe you thought this or you did this. I can't do that. Why? Because as a priest, not so much that I have to censor myself, But I have to make sure that what I'm putting out there is helping people understand the faith's understanding of what is going on. And sometimes that's hard because even as a priest, guess what? I'm a person. I'm human. One of the big struggles for many cradle Catholics growing up, especially in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, not age, but in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, priests were up here on this untouchable pedestal. Priests could do no wrong. And then 2007 hit. Some of you may say, 2007, what happened then? That's when the charter, the Philadelphia charter, came in and pulled back the veil and said, some of these priests have done some very egregious things. Some of these priests have been abusers. Some of these priests have been pedophiles. Some of these priests have done horrible things. 
And so we responded in the way that we do as humans. We went to the exact other side of the spectrum. Instead of putting priests on pedestals, there were times my first year as a priest, I would walk in the mall with my collar on. A mom would see me and would bring her kids closer to her and would walk on the other side. And it's like, oh, that breaks my heart. But what that shows is sometimes, no matter what I do individually, we as a collective are called to do to be more. So how do we as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins of our young people bring our people to the faith? I was confirmed with 25 other students in 10th grade back in 2001. Guess how many of my classmates are still practicing Catholics today? Three, and that includes me. One of them was a roommate in college. He now works for the Defense Department, and I think he's in Italy right now. I'm so jealous. He's always going to all these cool things. Um, and the other one's been kind of back and forth. Three out of 25. We all got the same catechesis. We all went to the same place. But we all, depending on what our family environment was, responded differently. But also, in my family of five kids, each of us as kids, outside of my older brother, at one time in our adulthood, I still feel as a kid myself, but in our past 18-hood, have left the church at some point. My family, my dad's rule was always, my house, my rules, you're living under my roof, you go to church on Sunday. No ifs, ands, or buts. Oh, but I don't feel like, well, you know what? Tough crap, we're going to church. But we live in such a society today where the kids make the rules and parents are so afraid to be a parent that we aren't meant to be our kids' best friends, but we're supposed to teach them a lesson. We're supposed to show them by example to model the faith, to model how it is to live as an adult. And if all we're doing is excusing them when, they're, when they have bad behavior, they're going to continue to have that bad behavior. In fact, there were three different times my grandmother, my dad's mom, moved in with us. She wasn't Catholic. She wasn't Christian. She was just existing. Now, I didn't find out until two years after she died that five years before she died, she came into the church, became Catholic. It's like, why didn't anybody tell me this? That's awesome. I didn't know Grandma was Catholic. Oh. But she also lived in Pennsylvania, New York. We lived in Oklahoma. We didn't talk very often. The last conversation I had with her, though, I remember. I was in El Reno working a job with an asbestos company before I joined seminary. And the last conversation I had with her was, Grandma, I'm going to go to the seminary, and I'm going to be a priest. She said, good for you. You're in my prayers. Last conversation I had with her, two months later she died. Didn't go to seminary immediately. In fact, got into a fight with the priest and said, if this is what a priest is, I want nothing to do with it, and turned my back on the church for another year and a half. I went to Mass during that time because between the time I graduated high school and the time I had joined with this company, I failed out of college, which meant I had to move back home. And again, what was dad's rule? My house, my rules, you have to go to church on Sunday. As a 20-year-old, working 40 hours a week, going to 
nine credit hours a semester, living at my parents' house, you're going to church on Sunday. I don't want to go. Do you want to live here? It's like, ooh, that's harsh in these days' terms, right? But why is that harsh? Why is it harsh for us to expect our kids to want to grow? Why are we limiting our kids' growth based on their friend group, based on what society is saying is right? It's because sometimes we as adults were limited and don't know what better things to do. And no parent knows how to deal with a kid. Ah! Okay, what do you want? Sit down and shut up. I don't know how to help you. I love you. Just sit there and be quiet for five minutes. We struggle with that. I struggle with that. You'll see it on my face sometimes at Mass when we've got a kid screaming bloody murder. I'm going to talk over him, but trying to remember what I'm doing sometimes, like, did I already say those prayers? We're going to go over there and say them again just in case. Because I get distracted too. Because when we have a kid screaming, it's natural to be distracted. But how do we get them back on? Four years ago, I got to visit um, two families up in Tulsa, um, the families of Adam uh, Menahan and David Niles. Uh, they have a podcast that has now gone national called The Catholic Man Show, two of the coolest guys I've ever met. I got to not only go on their podcast and their show, which is on the radio, it's on Catholic Radio every Thursday night, actually, at 7 o'clock, but I got to eat dinner with their families, and then I got to pray with them. One of the coolest experiences was praying with these two families because each of them had a dedicated place in their house where their family prayed. They had a family altar with a family Bible that's not just holding up a cushion, but was actually open that they turn the page and they read out of every night. They had rosaries there and religious symbols there. They even had a pray-do. Does anybody know what a pray-do is? It's a kneeler. It's a it's a very expensive word for a kneeler, a pray-do. They had a pray-do there so that the kids could one by one get up and kneel and pray for someone every night. I watched that and said, wow, I suck as a parent. <laughs> because as a priest, it's easy for me to get up here and talk to a large audience, to a large congregation. It's hard to have that one-on-one, -on -one, hey, okay, it's time to put our games aside. We're going to kneel here together and pray. And the kids did it. Now, sometimes they were trying to take their clothes off and do run around, and they were flipping around. And, but they made sure that they prayed. And it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. I saw in those couples the hope that longs within me for every parish I ever go to for our youth. That's why I will always preach, we've got to continue to be fervent in our prayers for our young people, but also to be examples for our children as well. We know that old saying, and I talk about it all the time on Sundays, the family that prays together does what stays together. Why? Because it's not based on me, not just Father, but like me as a person. We invite God into the relationship. And God takes over where we lack. And that's the beauty of our faith. It's the beauty of being a parent in the faith. 
that if you have a child and you've had them baptized, when was the last time that you listened to the words of the priest at the beginning of the baptism? Have you noticed that we have baptisms during Mass? I do that on purpose. Because for me and for so many people, I never saw a baptism outside of my siblings growing up. Because baptisms, what do they do for Mass? They make it longer. And if they make it longer, that means the Baptists are beating us to IHOP. Now, that's what I heard in the city. We don't have an IHOP here. We have something. What was it? Yeah, we have friends. The Baptists or the Lutherans, they're beating us to friends. Or they're beating us to El Patio. Or they're beating us to eat. And Father, it's too long. No, it's not. Because it shows us why we come here every week. The first question the priest asks in the sacrament of baptism, what name do you give to your child? Claire Elizabeth, okay. And what do you ask of the church for Claire Elizabeth? Baptism. Parents, having asked for the sacrament of baptism, it will be your responsibility to raise your child in the faith. Let me say that again. Parents, it will be your responsibility to raise your child in the faith. Then it goes on and says, do you understand what you were undertaking? And then we as parents say, uh-huh, because if not, my kid's not getting baptized. My husband and my wife, my parents, someone's going to be pissed off. So yes, we're going to do it. Not the right reason, but I understand. And then the next question Godparents, padrinos, it will be your duty to aid these parents in bringing these children up in the faith. Do you understand your responsibility as a godparent to assist these Christian parents in this child's upbringing? I do. Does anybody, know, does anybody not know who their godparents are? Many times we don't think of who our godparents are. I do because my godparents aren't Catholic anymore. My godparents left the church when I was 11. And I've struggled with that, thinking, man, why did, why did you agree to be my godparents if you left the faith? Like, this isn't right. I felt, like, victimized by that. Until I realized it wasn't about me. And that... The old understanding, by old I mean from the 1950s to the 1990s, understanding of a godparent was a legal guardian. If your parents die, I will raise you your kids. That's not what it means to be a godparent. Now, in Hispanic culture, specifically in Mexico, the idea of the padrino, there is some of that in there, in that not only does the padrino come to your baptism, they are responsible for gifts for your kids every year on their birthday. They're responsible for part of the quinceanera cost. They're responsible for part of everything as long as that child is alive. That's why many of our Hispanic children have multiple padrinos. Because <laughs> you have a padrino for baptism, you have a padrino for first communion, you have a padrino for the rosary, you have a padrino for everything. Because they're meant to be a witness of the Christian faith to help you grow in your understanding of the faith. How awesome would it be 
if we took those responsibilities to heart. As parents, as godparents, we've heard that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, right? We're a village. How are we raising our children? I have always had parents come and ask me, Father, when is it okay to give my kid a cell phone? I got my first cell phone when I turned 18. Now, given that's because they didn't have them really back then, because I'm old, not really, but you know what I'm saying. We had the flip phones. The only technology we had on there was to save contacts so I didn't have to have them in my wallet anymore. Remember the old phone book thingies that would like the folder thingies they'd have and you'd write all the names on? We'd have those in our wallets. And we had Snake. That you'd push the two, the four, the six, and the eight to move the snake around to eat the little apples. That was it. And you know what? We survived. So why in God's name, and I ask this rightly, in God's name, why do we give these things that can access everything on the internet, including pornography, to kids under the age of three? Peer pressure. Because everybody else is doing it. And that's part of the struggle of the world that we live in. Well, everyone else is doing it. Well, I don't want to be that mom. I don't want to be that dad that makes my kid go to church. It's not like you're stuffing poison down their throats. You're bringing them to Christ. You're giving them the best blessing you could offer ever offer to them. Oh, I don't want to give my kids a billion dollars for eternity. No parent in their right mind would say that. Every parent wants the best for their kids, right? But when it comes to the faith, Satan has tricked us for such a long time that being our child's best friend is more important than teaching them good morals, virtues, and values. That's why this year we're going to talk about the virtues. We're going to go through the theological virtues. We're going to go through the cardinal virtues so we can know what we're trying to teach our kids and why we're trying to teach it to them. We know what the theological virtues are. We don't know the title for them as that. Faith, hope, and love. We've heard those all together, right? Those are the theological virtues. They are at the root of everything we do and who we are called to be as Catholics and Christians. Faith, hope, and love. We'll go into those more in October, that book that I put up on Facebook. We'll go through that. Parts of the book are a little out there. It doesn't have what's called an imprimatur or a Nihil Obstat on it, which is the church's official saying, everything in here is, is the way the church teaches. I've only run up to one or two things where it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about that because I don't agree with that. He's talking about prudence. It's like, yeah, mm, I don't know if I can agree with that. But we'll get to that in November. But we're going to talk about the virtues because as Catholics, as Christians, as parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, if we don't know what it means to be virtuous, how are we expected to teach our kids virtue? I don't know of one parent that I've ever met that was ready to have a child. 
Were any of you guys ready when you had your first child to be a parent? Okay, Kathy, cheater. There's one. One out of 50. One parent thought she was ready. That you thought you knew everything that was going to come into it. That you knew exactly what it meant to bring your child to Mass. I love having our kids in Mass. I talk about that all the time because my parents always got the look at Mass. You know what look I'm talking about? The Why do you have more children? Stop it. Close your legs and that's done. Or the why would you have this many children and not send them to the nursery? Bring your kids to the nursery. They don't belong here in church. That even though those weren't parents, they were teaching a lesson to the kids, we don't belong. That we have to earn our place here in the church by being pious and holy and most importantly, quiet. That's not true. Guess what? If you have a child under the age of three and they scream, they're a kid! If they're over 15 and they're doing it, stop it. I'm not telling you to slap your kids. But we should have grown up teaching our kids right actions from wrong actions. That's where the parenting comes in. There's this hashtag, which I'm still learning what hashtags are, but in this new culture, a hashtag is like a, a, a common thing to be done. So there's this hashtag of hashtag adulting. Anytime that you don't want to do something, you put hashtag adulting. Oh, I got out of bed this morning. Hashtag adulting. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Or hashtag parenting 101. Grumble, grumble, grumble. It's not always easy. I know it's not. I don't have kids of my own, praise be Jesus Christ, because I would not be a good dad. I could be a good dad, but my patience, I know myself. My kids would not love me, let alone like me most days. And so God called me to something different. And a lot of that came from a brokenness and a misunderstanding of what it meant to be a father, what it meant to be a parent. My dad was the best father I could have ever hoped for, for the most part. But there were things in my adulthood that I realized I had abandonment issues. Like, how did I have abandonment issues? I've got four siblings. My mom was always around. Why did I have abandonment issues? Remember about 10 minutes ago when I talked about my godparents? That's where it started. And I didn't realize it until I was in my mid to late 20s that I struggled with abandonment issues. So I, I, get, I get attached really quickly, but I also detach really quickly. And so it began with my godparents. And then my sponsor for confirmation, my grandpa, was so excited I finally got grandpa to come. Lived in California, drove all the way from California for my confirmation. It was awesome. And then he died. And my dad was my best representative of the faith. And then he died. And I struggled with that for a long time. I still struggle with that sometimes today where it's like, God, everyone you send into my life leaves me. And he's saying, no, they aren't leaving you. They're coming here. They're coming here to prepare a place for you as they tried to help you on earth. Now they're praying for you in heaven. 
So the lessons they imparted in you on earth, hopefully, will be the same seeds that can grow and help you grow in your own faith. And so I've been able to have adult conversations with my godparents. One of them I was named after, my Uncle Danny. And they left the church, but was interesting, my cousin, he became a church planter in his church. I didn't know what a church planter is because I'm a cradle Catholic. I said, what's a church planter? It's someone that goes to a community that doesn't have a church and starts a church there. I said, man, how courageous. How awesome is it that you would go to a place that you know not and you would be so steadfast in the faith that nothing would keep you from preaching the good news. I struggle sometimes to preach the good news in western Oklahoma because I'm afraid of upsetting the left or upsetting the right. that Everything becomes political. Last Christmas, he moved to Bangladesh and is starting a church with the people that are the Rohingya Muslim refugees. So he learned a new language, learned a new culture, and is attempting to convert Muslims to the faith. I'm struggling to keep Catholics Catholic. (laughs) And that's a test many times. Do you know what the number one fastest religion in the world is? It's the nons or the formers. Former Catholics, non-affiliated Christians, the I'm spiritual but not religious, a.k.a. I want all the benefits but none of the responsibilities. Would that fly in anyone's house? Like if your kid came up to you and said, kind of like this weekend's gospel. Think about this weekend's gospel, the prodigal son. If your child came up to you and said, I want all of your money, but I want to do nothing for it, you'd be like, bless your heart, go do your homework. Right? But that's how we practice our faith. We want all of the benefits of being Catholic. We want to go to heaven. That's the benefit that most of us look for the most. I want to go to heaven. I don't want eternal punishment in hell. I want to go to heaven. What are you willing to do for it? I showed up. Okay. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Your parents showed up for you too when they had you baptized or when you had yourself baptized. That's part one of a million. The struggle is we live in a graduation world that once you reach this point you don't have to keep doing anything anymore i can remember my first year that i got ordained we had this program for priests that were ordained less than five years they call it the cinco año program the five-year program so all the priests ordained less than five years had to go to this formation week weekend every month Two of the guys that we went with said, I just went to eight years of seminary. I'm done with formation. And it's like, oh, bless your heart. Because we're never called to stop growing in the faith. The problem, though, is we live in a world that says, once you have your degree, once you have your certificate, that's all you need. Let's transpose that on the church. What is our certificate of achievement? Confirmation. 
I don't know how many times I can say that confirmation is not graduation from the faith, but I'm going to continue to say it and say it and say it. Confirmation is not graduation. The sacrament of confirmation originally ordered, do you know when it happened with the sacraments of initiation? Three sacraments of initiation being baptism, the Eucharist, and confirmation. What was the original ordering for those? Do you know? Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. Why then do we, in our American infinite wisdom, move confirmation around the same time as graduation? And then we put our kids in graduation robes and expect them not to see it as graduation from the faith. We have not catechized ourselves, let alone catechized our young people. One of my biggest fears is that when we move confirmation to sixth grade, not that we'd have now a great booming junior high group and a great booming high school, we're just losing them five years earlier. We don't have to. As parents, it is your responsibility to make sure that until your child moves out of your home, that they practice the faith. Doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. Doesn't mean they're always going to get it right. But if your child does not come to Mass on Sunday here or somewhere else, that is your responsibility as parent. We have some parishioners because their niece wasn't able to bring their kids for a long time and had left the church, that brought his great-niece and great-nephew to Mass every Saturday night. That's our goal. That if someone can't get to church, what are we doing about it? How do we reach out to our neighbors? How do we reach out to the family members that feel like they aren't part of the church and say, I want your kids to know. I have so much hope when Abraham comes to Mass. For those of you who don't know Abraham, you've heard him at Mass. The loudest singer you will ever hear at Mass can't find a note to save his life, but he's praising God with every note that he has. Wanted to serve as soon as he could. Aunt and uncles and grandma bring him to Mass. And I'm not saying that to shame mom and dad. That's not what I'm saying. But if mom and dad are struggling with the faith, how do we, as members of the community, step up on behalf of our faith, on behalf of our children that are seeking to grow? Many of us aren't cradle Catholics. How many of us are converts in here? It's okay. I've got three or four that have come to the faith later in life. Some of us are even RCIA right now. And we're trying to understand what it means to be a person of faith. Stage one, showing up. Coming to Mass every Sunday. Not when it's convenient. Yes, I know the NFL kicks off at noon. Mass never gets over before noon or afternoon. My last parish, I couldn't say that because Mass was at 11. It's like, ooh. I get sometimes, Father, the, the, the Washington, the Redskins back then, or the football team, or the Commanders, or whatever they were back then. Washington kicks off at noon, Father. 
well, my homily went long today. I'm sorry. <laughs> and this last weekend, it was long mass. I apologize. It was a really long homily this last weekend. But I think it was a good one. The problem is there were so many things to preach on. That's why I love Wednesday nights. I get a full hour to talk, and you guys can't stop me. It's great. But I put that clock up there when I moved here. You may not even know there's a clock back here in the church. I put that clock back here to remind myself I've got to watch the clock. Because I can get going and going and going and going, and it's like, huh, it's 1 o'clock for the 10.30 Mass. We should probably stop talking at this point. It's never gotten that long. Don't worry. Close. Never gotten that long. But a lot of my fervor from preaching, my fervor from teaching, comes from my longing and inner desire to be a parent in the most authentic definition of that term. To help those that don't know where to start. If you're struggling with your kids, please let me know. If it has something to do with the faith, not with the faith, I don't care. I am here to help in any way that I can. Deacon is here. I'm, I'm volunteering him because he's here. Deacon is here. We are here as members of the body of Christ to help each other out. I've had four kids that have come and talked to me, sometimes with parents in the room, sometimes parents not in the room, that have been having issues with being bullied. I don't know of a kid in the world that isn't being bullied. Whether cyberbullying, which none of us really had to deal with, or the physical bullying like we had growing up, where sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Both of those hurt. One of them lasts longer. Ironically, the sticks and stones bruises, they tend to scar over. The words that we use towards each other, those stay forever. And the longer that we hold on to those things, the longer we then emulate those things that we're focusing on. Have you ever heard the phrase, why do you spend five, more than five minutes on something that five years down the road you won't even have an impact of? But how many times do we take something that's said to us or something that's done to us and it ruins the rest of the day. Ruins the rest of the week. Five years down the road, we may remember it. But that one good thing we did, that one attaboy, that one pat on the back, we immediately discount because of that negative information we've gotten. It's the same way with our kids. That's why I will never yell at a kid for messing up during serving. I will rarely correct any of the kids when they mess up for serving, unless it's super egregious, like, yeah, let's not light each other's hair on fire next time. Had to happen once. It was hilarious. But I want our kids to want to serve. Why? Because I want our parents to want to serve. It's heartbreaking sometimes to know, and I've had kids come up to me and say, Father, I wish I could come to Mass more, but my parents won't bring me. It's like, I wish I could do something about that. But if I bring it up to your parents, they'll never come back. Like, how do you have that conversation? This is how I have it. FYI, this is how I do it. 
Because it's important for us as Catholics to understand not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. Why do we have classes for adults? Because we still need to grow. We still need to learn, myself as well, that for all of these classes that we have, hours of prayer, hours of study are going into it, not just to hear myself talk, because I get bored with myself so fast. By Sunday at 10.30, I'm so bored with preaching. Doesn't seem like it because I'm preaching forever. I understand that. But if you come on Saturday, you'll be so happy you came on Sunday because Saturday's always five minutes longer, without a doubt. I'm telling you, go, go to Mass on Saturday, go to Mass on Sunday when I'm preaching, Saturday's always five minutes longer. I don't know why yet, but we're trying to figure that out. But everything that I do as pastor is a hope and an inner desire for the people. That my goal, my role, my responsibility as pastor is to be a bridge, not the solution. And that's the problem. In seminary, we are taught, we are called to be all things to all people at all times. That's not possible. But I can help build bridges. Hey, did you know this family? They're going through some of the same things you are. Go talk to each other. Figure out how to figure these things out. Hey, you're coming to the church this year? These people came in the church last year. Work with each other. Hey, you've got a kid that's going through First Communion? Let's get all the First Communion kids and parents together to, like, have fun going to church. Heaven forbid. Or if your kids are getting confirmed, let's set something up afterwards. As a pastor... I get so much pushback. It's so hard to schedule things. When I was in the city growing up, our youth group, every Wednesday, would have youth group from 6.30 to 8.30. Every Thursday would have Bible study from 6.30 to 8.30. Every Saturday would have youth group again from 6.30 to 10 o'clock. And that was when we had confirmation once a month for four hours on Saturday mornings from 8 to noon. Horrible idea. I don't know how they ever thought that was going to be successful. And we had to go to our RE classes on Sunday between the masses or after mass. And I went to Catholic high school. And you know what? I still left the faith. Intellectually, I knew what was right and wrong. But when I got out into the world, I had been so micromanaged as a youth that I didn't know how to live by myself. I learned really fast what to do, what not to do. Never wound up in the back of a cop car in trouble. I was a, I was a chaplain for the police later on, so I was in the back of a cop car then. That doesn't count. Never got arrested. But that doesn't mean I was perfect. Dropped out of college. That's not to say that dropping out of college is a bad thing. For me, it was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to OU. Why? OU, football. Who wouldn't want to go? I'm telling you, as an 18-year-old, I was a moron. But that's why when we look at our kids that are 18 and younger and even older, that think they know everything, I'm telling you, they don't. 
that is when they need us as parents, godparents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, great-grandparents the most. And what do they need from us more than anything? Love. Sometimes the most loving response we can give to our kids is the first word that most of them learn. No. Because as soon as a kid learns to say no, they feel rebellious. When we say no, we feel like we're being the bad guy, though. No, you can't have an iPad. Why? Well, because statistically, beginning at the age of seven, that's when boys begin to see pornography for the first time. At the age of nine is when girls begin to see pornography at the first time. What? Again, even when you have filters on these things, kids get around them and they share those secrets at school. If your child has Snapchat and you don't monitor it, I guarantee you they're looking at things they shouldn't be looking at and having conversations they should not be having. Guaranteed. Why else would it have a feature that as soon as the picture is on there, it's deleted? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's built for child pornography. But all of our kids have to have it. What? No. There are apps that look like the calculator on your child's phone that when they click on it, they have to put a password in. Have you ever gone to a calculator that you need a password for? No. Why? Because it's not a calculator. It is an app on the phone to hide things that you don't want others to see. Kids are getting phones before they reach the age of reason, which is seven. I can't tell you how many times I go out to restaurants and I see mom and dad at the restaurant with their kids and the kid is inundated with an iPad under the age of two. The kids learn to work an iPad before they're potty trained. That's not a good thing. That's not healthy. If you can't poop in the toilet and wipe your own butt, you should not be able to swipe right on anything. Just saying. I know that's a little inappropriate, but it's very true. <laughs> and it should continue to go on. As a parent, your child's room is not meant as a fortress of solitude. I'm not saying to spy on your kids. I'm not. But I am saying kids are dumb sometimes. And they think that as parents, we will never understand what they're going through. That's partly true, because they're in a different world than we were. But every mistake that you made, whether you were caught for it or not, I guarantee you your kids are going to try and make the same ones. So how do we love them in them? How do we not, A, shame them? Shame is never good. Guilt is. Shame bottles us up to where we never want to go out again. Guilt helps me realize, yeah, my bad. I was wrong. How do I make up for that and grow and learn from that? It's the same way when it comes to our sins. Those sins that we call shameful are the ones that we don't want to even talk about in there. Why? Because shame is a shackle for sin to keep us as slaves to Satan. Guilt opens us up to God. 
Because there are some things that we do that we probably shouldn't do. And if we don't learn from them, we are meant to be guilted out of them. The worst phrase I could hear out of my parents' mouth growing up wasn't, I hate you, wasn't, I don't love you. It was, I'm disappointed in you. That's how I know, looking back, my parents loved me. Because disappointment was more important to me, or not, not disappointment, but not disappointing them, was more important to me in a positive sense than them being mad at me. That means that I was formed with some sort of virtue and some sort of values. We've got about five minutes left before our classes end. Any questions about responsibilities of parents, godparents, or anything else that I've talked about? So the next two weeks, uh, Kirk Estes, uh, who's in the diaconate program, he'll be teaching the class. I would normally be teaching them, but I'm going to be auf Deutschland. I'm going to be in Germany. Um, every year I lead a pilgrimage. Uh, this year I'm going with Father Carl Janoka, who was the pastor here 11, 12 years ago. Uh, we're going to Germany, Austria, and the Czech Republic. Um, every 10 years for the last 500 years in a small town in Bavaria called Omarammergau, they've had an outdoor passion play. It's about a six-hour play with a, an hour-long lunch break in the middle, which is really odd. Yes, let's do the passion, and let's take lunch just before Jesus is beaten. That's weird, but okay. I don't know. So we're doing that. But then also, we just happen to be going at the end of September, which is the beginning of October, and in Munich, Oktoberfest. Um, so we're going to get to hit the beginning of Oktoberfest, which that's awesome because when I get back, we're going to have our own Oktoberfest here on October 15th after the Saturday evening mass. We had one last year. We had about 25, 30 people come last year. I think we had five pony kegs last year. We got nowhere close to them, but we had five pony kegs. It's a good opportunity for us as adults kind of to get together. So if you're interested in something like that, on October 15th, after the Saturday evening mass, we're going to have our Oktoberfest again um, by our adult groups um, here at the parish. If you have any questions ever, please never hesitate to contact me. I can't tell you how many people I've heard come to me and say, Father, I've got a question, but I didn't want to bug you. That's what I'm here for. I may not get back to you right away, and normally if I don't respond right away, it's because I'm trying to figure out the right answer. And if I don't get back to you right away, sometimes you need to remind me because I've read through the email, the text message, the Facebook message or whatever, and I forgot about it. And I didn't mean to purposely, oh, I just don't want to talk to the people. That doesn't happen, I promise you. I just have a horrible brain, horrible memory. So as we end, let us please stand and we will end with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to speak about the rights and responsibilities of us as Catholics, as parents, as adults in the faith. I pray that you may continue to work on our hearts, work on our lives, work on our families, that you may watch over us until we come back to you and worship. We may celebrate your love for us every moment of every day. That as you learn from your own parents, we may learn from our parents in the faith how to be good, faithful Catholics and Christians, to embrace love first and foremost. We ask all of these things through the intercession of your own mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thank you, guys.